RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Let's talk business. Yeah, business. And I want to welcome Tony Falkenstein to Reality Check Radio. You may have heard of Tony, New Zealand-based entrepreneur, author, and philanthropist. I want to cover off all those bases. He's the founder and CEO of the publicly listed Just Life Group. He's an officer of the New Zealand Order of Merit for his services to business, a Kia World Class New Zealand Award winner, an inductee also of the New Zealand Business Hall of Fame, and he serves on the board of directors for Pure SEO and About Health. And Tony, welcome to Reality Check Radio. Thanks for checking in. Great. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. Okay. That Entre- more impressive than I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, sounds good when it's read back, eh? Yeah. <laughs> So entrepreneur, we hear that word a lot. Many people wonder if they are one or could be one. When did you kind of find out that you had entrepreneurial skills? Was it something that was in there already or did they develop as you sort of went through your experience of the world of business as it sort of evolved? No, it was actually, um, there was a point in time and it was at the age of 23, um, I realized I'd I was always very, very shy, and uh, and I had this job, and <clears throat> I kept on saying, hey, why don't you do this? And people would say, gee, why haven't we thought about that? And whether it was a process or a, or a <clears throat> new way of promoting something or just on pricing. Um, and so suddenly then one day I sort of woke up and I said, you know, I think differently from all these people, and I think that's the entrepreneurial mindset. Um well, it's amazing that you you remember that moment. It's obviously I, I, yeah, I remember that moment. Just coming, gee, hey, I do think differently. And then very, very soon after that, <clears throat> um, this was going back a long time ago when Mr. Muldoon was in power. Um, he had sixty percent sales tax on photographic equipment, and we got a um, a letter from uh, from the trustee savings banks, which at that stage were a cooperative. And they said we want to um, <clears throat> we want to have a visa card, a photographic visa card, and can you do it? And of course, we we could do it, but the cost of it just made it impossible to do. So I went back to my head office, I, this was with Polaroid, and said, "Hey, listen, guys, why don't we just charge a hundred dollars a week? A hundred dollars? I can't remember a month or a week. I think it was a month. Yeah, hundred dollars a month." And we'll get the payback in film burn, but they'll not only they'll waste the film, and but they'll also take a lot of you know they're putting a lot of money into this running this visa card. So they said, okay, yeah, try it. And so we got the deal. And so then the brains in uh, back in Boston said, hey, why don't we do this globally? And that's what they did. And so I became a hero at Polaroid by coming up with this uh, rental program because the next year they put out four times as many of the as many of these ID machines and so it was a uh, it was a it was a big success wow that's amazing from little old nz little old nz nzer all the way down there comes up with a a game changing idea for what a global company yeah so it was um you know and that's what entrepreneurship is all about it's it's one the idea and two is the execution and uh, and I think a lot of people have ideas. Um, often they can't execute because it's the wrong idea. And and I think you have to be able to not only have, don't have to be able to do both. Um, you have to ha- you might have to have someone else that comes up with the right idea and you can execute, or um, or you can execute and you have to find ideas. So, so 
Do the two sort of work in lockstep, I wonder? You know, the idea sort of appears at the same time as the execution options are there too. Well, probably. I mean, you think about, you know, you have this new idea and you think, well, um, how do I execute it? I mean, I'll give you an example. Last, In fact, just last week, uh, this girl who works for me, she's from Iran, and she said, she said to me and came up very hesitatingly and said, hey, Tony, can I have a few minutes of your time? And told me she had uh, uh, she was undertaking this course, an Iranian course. It was costing her a thousand dollars. How to be rich? <laughs> and I said, "Hey, listen. First of all, you're starting off with the wrong premise. Being rich—that's a byproduct of of doing of doing it." Now, in this case, she didn't have she didn't know how to become an entrepreneur. And I said to her, "What what what are you really passionate about?" And she said, "Well." Um, you know, I love baking. And I said, well, listen, there's an idea. Now think about this. If you love baking, maybe there's an idea to come up with a biscuit that is different from everyone else. So yeah. go and say your homework, go into the supermarket, find out, and you'll find that other people have done all the research for you. So I said, have a look at Coca-Cola. What have they done over the last few years? They've gone into anti, you know, sugar, sugar-free. And they put a lot of money into that. They will have done a lot of research and said, that is the absolute trend. We have to get out of sugar, sugar products. So why don't you have a sugar-free biscuit? And uh, anyway, so you know we're developing this idea, and uh, and then we have to find a way to to execute it. But uh, and you know, and I can probably put her in, you know, knowing how to get a contract manufacturer and how you know she's got twenty five thousand dollars. She says I'm prepared to risk it. <laughs> well, well, that's good. Um, do those sort of ideas just suddenly just spring into your head? Do they? Well, I've sometimes when I when I speak to audiences, I say, "When did you last have a good idea? How many of you had an idea on the toilet or in the shower?" And virtually everyone puts up their hand. So, um, and I say, "Well, what do you think if you could have many ideas, um, and you don't have to sit on the toilet for three hours?" <laughs> and so I said, "The I said what what I do is." And, you know, my secret is you go for a walk, which is going to be good for you anyway, but you take no dog, no partner, no iPod, and you just go out there. Now, either you can put an idea into your mind when you start, or you just go out blank, and you'll be surprised what will come, will, what will come into your head. You'll have your whole, um, your whole next week mapped out, you'll, uh, and you'll start thinking, a bit, thinking about, about things, and you'll come up with ideas. And so that's, uh, you know, that's my idea in terms, in terms of getting new ideas. I think it's because we don't have enough time by ourselves. We come home and there are kids and their TV goes on and making dinner and all these things that happen. And we don't have time to, uh, to think, you know, to be by ourselves, to have some thinking time. Yeah, um, not cluttered, right? Sort of right. time to range. Um, you mentioned wealth before. So wealth... Is that a mistake people make in in trying to be entrepreneurial that they have a wealth target first before the idea or they're more motivated by that? You said it's a byproduct, and I've heard that said many times. Um, yeah. So that that shouldn't be what drives you initially. Is that what you say? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I don't think that that should be your your driver. You want to, yeah, I suppose you want to achieve. You know, people. I look at sports people are often very, very good business people because they're, you know, they're driven to succeed. They don't want to lose. They, and 
and and the result of that, if they've executed right, is that they probably make some money along the way. What about um, the journey along the way? Many uh, entrepreneurial types of you know and books and stuff, and I've met a few over the years, and they've had some epic fails as well, but it hasn't kind of deterred them. No, I mean I've had. You know, if I look at my life, I've had one, I've had a lot of fails, right? A lot of fails. But I've had one epic fail. And the epic fail is when, you, when you're going to lose everything, right? And, uh, and I had that, you know, a few years ago, I launched this um, when Swatch Watch was, uh, you know, become very, very popular in Europe and America. And, uh, and I tried to get to the agency for Swatch to launch it in New Zealand. And it had already been taken by somebody else. So I went off to Hong Kong and got, uh, some people call them Hong Kong ripoff, but a uh, similar type product, rang up the receptionist of the company that had the agency, found out when they were launching, what their pricing was, how they were promoting it, where they were promoting it, um, and had really had the whole marketing program. I then made mine one better. So their price was 69, mine was 49. Their, they had a one-year guarantee, we had a two-year guarantee. They had six six uh, different designs and three different colors. We had 12 designs and six different colors. Um, we went through, they went through uh, uh, jewelers and, and watch shops and, uh, and department stores. We went through pharmacies and department stores. And, uh, and so between Christmas, and so we both launched on the same day, and uh, which was unbeknown to them. And so between Christmas, between September, early September and Christmas, we sold 27,000 watches and they sold 6,000. Wow. Now, the, yeah. the unfortunate thing was, so we did a million dollars worth of business the first month, I mean, which was, you know, phenomenal. And uh, But what happened, the plasticizer in the strap got very brittle and most of the watches were sold for, for Christmas. And by the time it got to Christmas, they, the kid put the watch on and the strap broke immediately. So they all oh, came dear. back. And I'd spent a lot of money on advertising and what have you, and these things just came back, not only for one year, but for two years. Right? <laughs> I had a two-year guarantee on them. Oh, and obviously my, my supplier had disappeared in Hong Kong, and uh, it was an absolute disaster. How and, did you cope with that, Tony? Uh, I suppose I'm very optimistic, but even I got depressed with that because <laughs> uh, it was just a day in, day out. You get phone calls from from pharmacists or from customers and you'd go to, I had this little box in, in Remira where, um, you know, I'd go every day and there was never just, there was always just this card there. You go at the back and there were these big, two big sacks of watches. Oh dear. <laughs> and so it was, Crikey. That would have been depressing. Was, all right. <laughs> and I have to say, it pro although I didn't realize it at the time, it probably took me a year to, to be able to make decent decisions again, I wasn't making good. I was not making good decisions for at least twelve months before I felt felt okay. And uh, and I was very fortunate in that a company that had uh, uh, that knew nothing about this hired me and gave me a big sign-on bonus, and that stopped 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 me going under. <laughs> well, wow, just in time. But were you able to you know fix up the watches, or or did? Yeah, we. I mean, the yep. supplier had gone. We found uh, um, we were able to buy little buckles, and we. I found this little lady in, in Ponsonby who, who put these buckles on, and we sent them back. 
uh, in times if someone yelled loud enough, we gave them their money back. So he gave a lot of money back, and but normally we were able to fix them. But you learn something from that, surely, like a big lesson, obviously. Uh, it, it, the silly, this it, it seems so silly, right? I went up to Hong Kong, and there are all these people making the same sort of watches, and, and they're all about you know three to four dollars, right? Now, if I had gone, if I had gone to the people who made watches for for one of the big chains in uh, for Costco or something in the USA, I know they would have done their research and made sure the product was okay. I didn't. I went to the guy that was 50 cents cheaper. And considering yeah. we were selling them for 49.95, it didn't, you know, the, that 50 cents meant nothing. And so, uh, you know, buying the cheapest product. So it's a lot easier when someone else has done the research and you, and you know that big companies will have done that research. They won't make those mistakes. Yeah. So anyway, that was a, a big learn. <laughs> you reminded me uh, just then of, um, it wasn't a business thing, but I went to New York um, well, ages ago in the, in the late 80s and bought up a whole lot of New York T-shirts from the guys on the pavement selling them, and there are quite a few of them there. And I, I bought up probably 20 of them for all my mates and everything, brought them home, proudly gave them to them, and the decals came off in the first wash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They were just useless. They You couldn't even make out the picture anymore, and and it looked like you know the someone had thrown up on the – on the T-shirt. Anyway, right. yeah, I won't do that one again either. Okay, so, so I'm wondering. The modern version of that, the modern version of that story is you go to chat GPT and, and, and you, yeah, you can go onto these websites now where, where you can do all the design, everything you want on these T-shirts, all the design. You then send it over to another, another website and they will make, they will make the shirts for however many you need, so you you advertise them on um, on Amazon or something, and you say, "Oh, we've got fifty shirts with that design." You then tell these guys they hold all the shirts, and they put the design on, email that through the design, and they all come back. They ship them out. You even laid out one penny, and the guy who's got the shirts, he's made a margin, and you've made a margin, and your customers got what what they want and your style, exactly what design you want, and it won't wash off. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a virtual product. Hey, that's just yeah. an idea. That's all it is. That's right. Essentially, that's that's man, that's incredible. Um, and you, you could probably even ask uh, Chat GPT um, to do the design for you. You don't even need to think that one out. Yeah, probably. well, they come up with. I mean, they give you all these designs, and and you can say, hey, listen, I I want a you know I want an apple that's with an arrow through it, and be all different colors, everything that you want. I think I might do a bit of T-shirt design thinking after this interview. Well, you've started. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be yeah. able to tell the story. I started with 20 T-shirts and they're all, yeah. they all stuffed up. And it was Tony Falkenstein who did it for me. Um, <laughs> we hear a lot about New Zealanders being natural entrepreneurial types. Is that true? Well, that's interesting because, you know, I go back to um, – in 2001, I lived with my family in the UK, and they had this global entrepreneurship monitor, and it showed that of the 22 countries, New Zealand was at the very top, number one of starting businesses, and they were number 22 of the business lasting more than five years. Oh. And, uh, and so as a result of that, the, um, it so happened the principal of my old school, which is only Hunger High School, was in London. and. Um, and I said to him, 
I said to him, Chris, this is this is just terrible. And they're, they're sort of blamed it on. They were just not being taught anything about business in, uh, in the New Zealand education system. I said, why don't we start a business school at Ohinga High? So he said, oh, yeah, yeah he, was the, he was the ultimate socialist, uh, geography teacher. They still are, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he came back, I came back and went to him. And uh, fortunately, I was able to, I think Trade and Enterprise had some trendy thing and, and they were looking for teaching people. And they gave us $400,000, much to the um, chagrin of the ministry that said business will never be in the national curriculum. And so we started a business school at Onihanga, a separate entrance, and uh, and it, you know it was it was a real success. And and despite what the ministry had said, and despite what politicians, all the politicians on both sides were were very very keen to have business in the in the uh, curriculum, um, but but it is like you know it is like yes minister you know once that minister's resigned his education portfolio it goes back to nothing again so um but anyway then we found someone in the ministry who who backed the cause and so we did get ministry uh business in the national curriculum as an NCEA subject and so that was uh that to me was was a big success and since then they you know uh they're I think well, certainly all private schools, but a lot of public schools now have um, have business in the curriculum. So, so, so you have to persuade the not the politicians, but the public service types to get yeah. change. Those are the ones you got to win over. Is what you're saying? Yeah, and that, yeah, certainly in that case. Yeah, um, when you look back to those days at school in Onihonga, what were they like? <laughs> Well, I was I was exceptionally shy. So if the if the headmaster sat up on the top of the school and that stage they're all in gowns and what have you and wore ties, um, and said, a boy walking down the street with his socks down, and I'd immediately go I'd immediately blush. Um, <laughs> Give it so, away. Uh, I thought, oh, it must have been me. And uh, so extremely shy. I wasn't good at education. I wasn't good at sport. I was uh, even later on when I contributed to the school, they couldn't find me in a school photo. Um, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> and I, not, I was not in any of the archives anywhere. It's so like you didn't exist. I didn't exist. So I left I left school when I was about, well, I, I missed my school cert and then got it the next year, but then I uh, became a baker pastry cook. And okay. uh and again, that was a good learning. I, I joined you know, a business that's still there, Ezepson Pantry. And uh, and I did my apprenticeship there, um, and I had a a guy there who taught me about pricing, and and it was his his strategy on pricing was listen if you put in the best ingredients you can charge the best prices, and he used to he put you know he had rum bar bars he put real rum in, um, he had you know cream was whipped cream I I had to bloody mix this stuff. And they yeah. take bloody bats and oh, but it was real it was real uh, real cream. Uh, so yes, yeah, so I think I got some some learning uh, learning from him. And it was only when I was in my last year of my apprenticeship, one of my one of my friends said to me, Hey, listen, you should come to you know, you have no social life as a baker pastry cook because you're working at nights and and he said, Listen, you want to come to university and uh, there are all these girls there and find out what that's all about. And so you have to overcome your shyness though. Yes, I well, so I I uh 
Yeah, I got to, um, so I went to university and finished off my apprenticeship part-time and did part-time at university. And uh, and again, I was going to do an arts degree because my parents were German and I could speak a bit of German. I thought I can pa- pass one subject. And he said, I oh, listen, do accounting. Everybody passes that. Well, um, I passed my German paper for my BCom, but I failed my accounting. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, eventually I, I got through and did a, finished off a BCom. Okay, and um, you've, um, looking at the details here, had, you know, quite a, a life in business. Um, when you got to being responsible for people and teams, what was that like? And and what sort of, what sort of um, approach um, does that require to get the best out of them? Well, one of the good things about being shy is that you use, you use your ears a lot more than your mouth. And so you really listen, watch. you got much better observation. Um, you know, I mean, I hid down, never wanted to be asked, never stood up in class and never put my hand up for anything, even though I might know the answer. And so I've got a, I've got, I've got a very, very good feel, a very, um, you know, good antenna of, of people. And so I can pick it, pick them. Um, and so I'm still not, you know, some of our, some of our guys come in and say, hey, good morning, hey, and Yahoo. I'm much more, well, I'm much better with a one-on-one than a, you know, one-on-fifty or something, or one-on-a-crowd. So, um, but I can pick when people are down, and and so I think that, that I've, yeah, a good antenna on on that. Um, and I think people, uh, yeah, if, if, they, if they can trust you, they... Um, you know, they, they like that if they feel as though, you know, even on our website now, on, on you know, we've got nine brands. Every one of them has got a chief executive's guarantee saying we treat we will, we treat you as a customer or a shareholder or employee as part of our family. If you think we've been unfair in, uh, in our dealings, please ring me direct. And so I have my phone number, my, uh, my email address, and, you know, I'd be the only chief executive of a public company that would have that on there on their uh, website. I think you'd be right in that because uh, even just to get customer service these days, it's like they don't want yeah. to talk to you that's at all. Right. And so, and you know, and that's really good because you know that if you do something wrong, it'll be talked about 10 times, but something like that, I think gets a lot of talking. You know, if someone, oh, I rang up the boss, my, you know, my bottles of water didn't arrive. I rang him up on Saturday morning and I'm immediately able to send a text back and say, hey, really sorry to hear about that. We'll, uh, you know, I'll have someone look at it on Monday morning. We'll get back to you. I remember those old TV commercials that used to play here with the, the guy who sold appliances. It's the putting right that counts, he used to say. It's the putting right, right. that counts. I guess he was and right. It really is. If you do something wrong, it's how you handle it is, uh, is really is the one that, that, that impresses. So in terms of business in this day and age where we're at at the moment, what are the you know, the exciting areas of business, uh, given that technology is, is a huge part of that now and AI is coming in, yeah. uh, um, what are the exciting areas now compared to... Well, I think it is. AI is, is just... I think it's bigger than when the internet arrived. There are so many possibilities. And it's, and it's not just chat GPT. I mean, it's it's there are all these other AI things you can go on to. Um, but you can ask, you know, you hear about people and... I mean, like we use ChatGPT as just a tool we're using every single day, and it's making our life so much easier. How would you use that, Tony? 
Well, just some examples. Um, last week we we had a board meeting, and you have to update policies, which is a pain in the backside. Uh, but you know, had about thirty policies we had to update, make sure they were all okay. So we just put them into Chat GPT, saying, "Hey, how would you improve these policies?" And they came up with some things. Some we accepted, some we didn't. So that was just uh, made that that bit easier. Um, we use it for um, you know you can do a uh, for people who, that aren't that computer literate, they can get virtually do you know columns, Excel spreadsheets on there. Uh, we ask it for um, yeah, just uh, just sort of thing. What else? Um, well, it sounds like people um, are going to end up with a lot of time on their hands because someone else is going to be AI is going to be doing the work. So what what does it come down to? Just the person thinking of something now. Well, they don't have to think because they, I mean, I, you know, you hear about people and, you know, they're true stories of people that go, hey, I want to start up a business. What do I do? One of the first things I did for this girl I told you about with the baking, I said, let's go to chat GPT. What, what I said, the question I put in, I said, I'm interested in, uh, in baking. I want to start a bakery business. What, what things do you think I should be thinking about? And they gave 10 really good things. And I never would have thought of them on the top of my head. I probably would have covered, you know, three or four of them. But just went to do, do, do and gave gave a ten things that hey these are things you just have to be have to have to do. How um, does it know? How does it know? Well, it's taking all the information that it knows, um, and you know, and from what other people have put in, and uh, and comes up. Gee, these are the best ones. These are from what we're all the uh, information in our database. These are the ones. Yeah, these are the ones that come up as as best. Wow. And then you can it? and you can move from there. We said, okay, hey, listen, this one number three, I uh, I don't really think that's. You just keep on talking as though it's a person. You could uh, very easily forget that it's it's not a person. Uh, that would right. dis could dissolve away almost. Yeah. So you know, so people have started businesses asking, hey, what do I do? And and uh, and in fact, that one with the T-shirt is one I heard started from. From nothing, just asking them, asking Chat GPT, "Hey, how do I make? I've got twenty five dollars. How do I make a? How do I make a business? What that's do I amazing. do?" Amazing, yeah, that's incredible. Gosh, all right. Um, I want to ask you about philanthropy um, before we finish chatting, but um, just staying on business. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a weird time at the moment. The economic conditions don't seem too favourable. Um, all these new technologies are coming in. We're, it was sort of always being challenged. And, you know, um, factoring all this in, are there still the opportunities out there? Has it got harder to launch ideas and make something of them? And if people were thinking of, you know, maybe doing their own thing, going in another direction, is it a good time to do that? Is it always a good time to do that? Well, it's always a good time if you pick the right thing. So so what I found is, um, is that kids coming out of university believe in their spreadsheets. And so they've got, you know, they say, well, they come along to me and say, well, we need some funding. Uh, I say, have you sold any of these widgets? And they say, well, no, not yet. But look what happens in year three. We'll, we'll have made $3 million. You have no idea. And and the problem with it is is that they, you know, and I, and I suppose that's the millennials. They're, they're, they're rushing into it, want to take this idea, want to raise funding, so they so they might go and you know someone else thinks it's a great idea, 
So they go and raise funding, and that's probably the worst thing because suddenly they've got money and they go through it quickly. And uh, and then if the idea is really good, by that stage they've, they've taken more funding. They're only a small part of the company. And so if, it, if, it, if it's a fantastic idea, if it's, say, a, a trade me or something, um, they'll just be taken out of it. The, they'll say, hey, listen, we need a real chief executive in here. You go, you know, you can stay on as a shareholder with your 5% or whatever it is. So you're out of it. So I think the, um, the you know, I mean, I took the step process, which is, you know, you start with what you've got and you just keep on stepping up. Uh, and I think that's a, a better process. I think that there are, I think we're wasting so much talent. There are so many people that are going into software products and uh, and they go on for a, for a long time. Um, I invested in this company 15 years ago. Two guys still going there, you know, and they have some wins and then it uh, doesn't go and they shipped it over to UK because they've got a big customer there. They're still in the UK now and and they've and they've just never made it. Yet here were two guys that probably could have been earning 150000 each for the last 15 years. Just, they, they, yeah, I mean, it was good. They want to succeed, but it's they're just always on the verge of, of doing it, never do. Um, so really the, the opportunities that, I mean, they're there, but uh, you're taking. I think they're they're too big a punt because when if you develop something, some software, you're always you're always developing. It never stops. So even companies that are successful, hey, you always you always have to keep on developing. Um, so I've always been in more, um, you know, more products, uh, products or services. I think that's uh, so. It is finding, you know. Like in these times, if you say, hey, the economy slowed by, even if it was 20%, um, there's still 80% of the, of the market is still there. So if this girl comes out with a biscuit now that, say, really um, heralds sugar-free, hey, maybe that's a niche that she can take and own. And uh, and people who are buying, the 80% of people who are still buying biscuits, look at that, yeah, hey, that's going to be good for me. I'll uh, I'll go with that biscuit. You got to be good at marketing the product, though, right? There has to be. That's a very important part of it. You have to be thinking of how you can do that as well. Yeah, yeah, and you have to be smart at. It. I mean, in fact, I liked it much more when we were a smaller company. You really can do some what I call uh, guerrilla marketing, and you know, we launched. So I went into this company as chief executive, and uh, and it was almost. The share price was 38 cents. When I left three years later, it was over $12. And when I went in there, I said they were they were a manufacturer of sunglass frames. And and um, they were hand, what they call handmade frames. So you could do runs of 100. And so I went into the warehouse, and there was all this acetate there, piles of it. I said, what's all that stuff? I said, oh, that's all stuff. It's all Italian stuff, but we can't use it. Bright colors, et cetera. And um, and I said, so I knew this designer in Australia, Jonathan Skeets, and I said, Jonathan, come on over here and have a look at this stuff. There's all bright colours. said, I've been in the UK, and under National, National Health, they used to give away that you could get your optical frames for free, but they're all the same. They're all black frames. They're probably pretty sexy now, but they're all black frames. Mm. Everybody was, not everybody, but a lot of people walking around with these black frames. And I said, I reckon that's a market we could take some really bright colored, bright colored glasses to. 
have a look at this acetate, see if you can come up with some designs. So he came over and he came up with these really sexy designs, black and white checked and different colours and multicolours. And so we set had a range called Undercovers by Jonathan Skeets. And two of us went over to the UK and um, and we really just came in with a just a big box. And but what I did was I, I took a an ad, a full page ad in Vogue magazine. And it cost ten thousand pounds. I mean, it was it was a crazy price. But anyway, and I had my my sister in law lived in London. She was a royal a royal watcher, and so you didn't have that much okay. to do. I mean, she went round and watched royals when they did things. And I said to her, "Listen, Susan, you go out." And we gave her a route every day, and she'd go out to opticians with this Vogue magazine, saying, "Have you got these glasses?" And obviously, they'll oh, say, "That's no. that's smart." Yeah. And then the next the next week. Either David or I would go around, and these things we we manufactured them for around about under ten dollars, and we sold them for sixty nine pound, and we sold them in packs of twenty, so they're highly profitable. And uh, yeah, the next week we went round, and everybody's oh gee, everyone's been asking for these, <laughs> and we covered we covered the whole of the UK, all the major op- opticians and and small opticians, and would put in one pack of these of these glasses, and it was a. You know, every every call we made about five thousand dollars. It was just a wow, amazing. So, so that's guerrilla marketing. I've used that a lot as a smaller company. You can use it a lot. You know, going and um, asking asking for product or yeah, just doing things like that. So, quite- so, so that um, that Vogue magazine ad was kind of the bait. Yeah, 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 yeah. They yeah, thought that- so it must be good, and we haven't got it, man. And, and people, people are asking, people. same person, if yeah. you if you go around, <laughs> but but they're asking. Now that, that that's that's a real cool story. Um, I want to get on to giving now because uh, you go to the US, philanthropy is huge. It's probably bigger than we realize here as well. What do you get out of giving, Tony? Well, you get a lot out of it. I mean, you know, and I give uh, I give for things I'm involved with, and I think that is uh, there was a book called The New Philanthropist, and they did a chapter on. A chapter on New Zealand and on on what I was doing, and because I was saying the new back in the old days, the philanthropists would just give money. You know, they'd give money to, you know, some half a million dollars to Red Cross or something. The new philanthropists uh, want to be involved in what they're doing. They they see a, a purpose for it, and so um, and so so my one really, I'd sum it up as uh, business education is the key to prosperity for the country. And so, and so, my philanthropy tends to go towards that. We do other things, and uh, you know, SPCA, but they're much smaller. But the things that I really want to get involved in are things that I think are going to improve business education, improve people. And I think you um, put in some money to the uh, Auckland University School yeah, of Business. Yeah, when we did the IPO of Just Life Group, I gave two million shares to. Um, the Onehanga High Business School, to Unitech, to uh, University of Auckland Business School, and some to AUT, and some to Waikato. And anyway, the um, because I'm very interested in uh, in you know what they can do. So at Auckland, we have a program called the Vanguard Program, and we send about uh, 15 students up to Silicon Valley every every year. Uh, and really, it's more to open up their eyes to see the opportunities there. Talk to uh, 
particularly, you know, there's such a great culture within the within the Silicon Valley, um, and to, and to meet these people, and you know, they just come back with just the, with their eyes opened. Uh, so I think that's important. Um, you know, so these shares are, you know, they're they're giving off a dividend around about a hundred thousand a year, and so it's uh, it becomes yeah, it builds up to to a nice amount, and it's an ongoing thing. So when I when I uh, when I cark it. That that money will still be going going along, and kids will be going for hopefully for forever to, um, you know, to to Silicon Valley. Say, it's pretty cool. Do you ever intend to retire or or give up your activities? Does there come a point where you say, okay, I've done enough of that now? <laughs> no, I uh, you know when I don't like it. I mean, I'm uh, you know, I say I'm. My chronological age is seventy-six. My biological age is fifty. So, right. so I, so I do everything as I'm a fifty-year-old. I, you know, I play a lot of sport, play a lot of tennis. Um, keen tennis player, keep fit, um, and just keep keep active. And so, you know, I just love being love being in business. I love Monopoly as a kid, and and this is just playing with real money. Kids love playing Monopoly, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, I used it, to, in fact, I used to sit at home and play by myself. My middle name's Edward. <laughs> I used to have Anthony versus Edward. Of course, Anthony would always win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. And you like to write? You like to write? Well, I wrote a book, um, you know, Never Hire a Person Who Walks Slowly. And uh, oh, Now, how did you come upon that title? Well... <laughs> I don't know. I, well, what what it was, I was I was speaking to some MBA students at at business school and when in a um, with a group, uh, and so the final question was, just tell us about your hiring philosophy. And I said, and my one immediately popped out, never hire a person who walks slowly, <laughs> and got a lot of laughter. <laughs> so I thought, oh well, I'll make that the title of my book. It works a bit, um, and I, that's certainly not a uh, not a guarantee. But we do, you know, in our hiring process, the receptionist is a very important person. So he or she is, you know, they watch the person coming in, and if they're just sluggishly, you know, bowling in, and then they don't talk to them, and at the reception or or arrogant at reception, they, you know, that's a sort of a black mark, black pointer come uh, against them. But on the other hand, yeah, there are people who walk slowly because they're thinking, and uh, yeah, yeah. But they look like they're thinking, right? They look like yeah, they're in contemplation, yeah. stroking the chin. That's that absolute. Sort of yeah. Is so, yeah. In terms of writing, I don't think of, I, I, you know, I write that. I mean, it's a, it's an airline read. You'd read it in uh, in an hour, and it's just A to Z of of business. Um, with my wife did all the cartoons next to it. Uh, that's cool. Yep. So, but in terms of writing a serious, a serious book, I don't, know. I don't think I'd have the uh, that I'd be. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm just an active person. I have a, you know, I don't sit down. I have a, um, I don't even have a desk at, at work. I just move, take my laptop around where I want to, uh, where I want to stand, and and I'm always standing. It's election year. You may or may not want to answer this uh, question, but is this government good for business? Current one. Hey, what they say and what they do might be two different things. Um, so, well, how, how how can you identify a government that's good for business? 
you know, business friendly? Because we hear that criticism all the time, and not just of this government, but of other governments as yeah. well. Business what is, friendly. What is funny is that is that uh, left so Labour governments tend to be best for business because they spend money. They spend money, and business loves people who spend money. Right. Well, simple. So yeah. while the while the national government, you know, when they come in, they go and tighten up the screws, and and, and business don't really like it. Uh, you know, because they yeah they want to get the every you know get uh, get everything right, get the books right. So. so You're saying six of one, half dozen of the other, yeah, when it all balances out, kind of. Yeah, I think yeah. I'm probably a bit cynical about whichever one. You know, I mean, we survive, and everyone survived with a, whichever government's in, and they don't tend to be that that different. You know, they, it's always at the edges that they uh, that makes the noise, but it is at the edges. So, if you were to um, uh, inspire someone to to light that spark of entrepreneurialism, get my mouth around that word, would you suggest they go to chat? The chat thing, the start of the AI <laughs> now. I think that's a, they should. Um, I went to our, so we have a, I suppose, a leadership team of a, what we call our group leadership team of about 10 people and uh, and then a senior team of about 20 people. And I asked them the other day, I said, how many of you are using chat GPT? And bloody half of them weren't. And I said, this is such an important tool. And as as our senior team, we're we're using it on a daily basis. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's one way. Another way is just to decide, like this girl, is I want to make biscuits. Well, that that feels like a good idea. I would say that that. I mean, what do I know? But that that sounds like something that could be appealing and a product that could sell well, given. You know, there's the concern about sugar and everything at the moment, and you can still have your biscuit and, well, and eat it too, right, in that situation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've, just given, I've just given you a line you can use there, by yeah. the way. Yeah, that's right. Have your biscuit and eat it too. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. I'll put you on a royalty. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Hey, it's been great talking to you. Thanks for making some time. And people, you know, if they're uh, you know, thinking that they could do something, well, they've had some useful information there from someone who's been there, done that. Tony Falkenstein, thank you for being on Reality Check Radio. Okay, thanks, Paul. Much appreciated. Entrepreneur Tony Falkenstein. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.